Hey everybody, this is Mikey D. Welcome to my stoop. A long time ago, in a far-off corner of a big city, was a small American town called East Harlem. There were a lot of faces, but no Facebook. Some twits, but no Twitter. And we didn't use a device to socialize. We opened the door and walked out to our stoop. It seems like such an ancient time, like it was a lost city. Almost as if I had watched it all from the stoops of Atlantis. There was only a wink or nod between mischief and crime. A subtle bit of restraint, or just luck. I was a mischievous kid, but I tended to play it safe, unless I was hanging with one particular friend of mine. I know Joe since I was barely able to speak. He went on to be the best man at my wedding. He was an adventurer. It was in his blood. When there was a means, motive, and opportunity to land a joke upon a victim, Joe always made sure I bit that apple, pulled that trigger. And we laughed about it, and luckily... And amazingly, never got caught. I guess our guardian angels ended up in therapy, but they were effective, and they had our backs. In the end, we were geeks, and our intent was always twisted sense of adventure, and not destruction or evil. But sometimes, well, we rode a fine line. You see, on those kinds of evenings, intrigue was in the air, and we were the provocateurs, the saboteurs, the agents of mayhem. It was the first chilly night of early autumn, when the air's taunt for leather and wool scare off most of the neighbors. There were only two figures casting shadows on 118 that evening, me and Joe. And when it was just Joe and me, well, the world was one big adventurous egg to crack. I was 12, I guess. 1977. The year of Star Wars, Son of Sam, and the Blackout. But those events, as the summer heat dissipated off the sidewalks, were fading. There was a whiff of all hollows in the air, and the trickery that went with it. We strolled up to Pleasant Avenue to Jimmy's, for a pre-dinner snack. It wasn't even five o'clock yet, but the sun was hanging out on the west side, leaving me and Joe in the pale gray light of dusk. Our voices echoed on the old bricks, as did our footsteps. I'm in Jimmy's now. I'll give you a quick tour. That young guy behind the counter isn't Jimmy. Jimmy sold his store ages ago, but the name stuck. This other guy, Charlie, ran it for a while. Jimmy and Charlie were nice guys and chatted with the customers. This guy is nameless and just grunts. When I was five or six, there used to be Mary, the old African-American lady, who would speak fluent Italian with Jimmy. It's a typical 70s bodega. On the shelves, dusty canned goods, rice, bags of pigeon peas, roach spray, baking soda, baking powder... Mouse traps, rat traps, various boxes of ranzoni, fusilli, linguini, elbows, ziti, tubatini, pastina, a dozen religious candles, various kinds of potato chips, cat food, dog food, both dry and canned. In the fridge, struggling to stay cold enough behind filthy glass, and doors that never closed right 
or sodas, beer, milk, juices. There was Blue Sky, Manhattan Special, and Malta Schaefer. Behind the counter, firecrackers, jumping jacks, ash cans, smoke bombs. But only if you knew to ask. On the counter with the gum, sensen, violet candies, and cheese and cracker packs were the Slim Jims. Joe bought two. There were a dime each back then. We decided we also really needed smoke bombs, so we bought two. They were these colored balls with fuses and barfed out clouds of farty smoke. You can always use a smoke bomb. Joe was staring at the wall of Scott's toilet paper stacked in the front of the plate glass window that faced Pleasant. Actually, it was a sheet of bouncy plexiglass. The real window had been broken a few years earlier by some crazed madman with a pipe. Or maybe it was that tossed M80. Joe paid the man, and as we walked out, I noticed Joe was lingering. I turned. He smiled and pointed at the window. I wasn't sure what he was up to, but he looked at me and said, Get ready to run. And then, as if in slow motion, his fist was cocked, and he launched it sideways to the center of the plexiglass. Shock waves rippled. A wall of toilet paper shuddered, swayed, and collapsed. We ran fast. We were in my gate, ducking behind the fortress of my stoop. I think the half-block dash took two seconds. It was a shame no one was timing us. I think we broke all Olympic records. We peeked out. The owner was standing on the corner, one hand on his hip, the other at the top of his head, shielding his eyes from the lamppost glare and scanning the avenue like Ahab looking for the white whale. Or two white little punks. We were invisible. He made that gesture with his hand like some little rascal saying, Oh shucks, and he walked out of our line of sight. We sat there in my front gate, in our fort, for a few minutes, scared to move. But our bodies were shaking with muffled laughter. Sure, we could laugh. We didn't have to pick up three dozen rolls of TP. All the time, I was fingering the smoke bomb in my pocket. Paranoia was hanging over us, but we started feeling trapped. Joe pointed to the small staircase leading down to the courtyard of the big building across the street. It was a favorite hiding place. The coast was clear. We made the dash. This was half the fun of mischief, the delusion we were some kind of secret agents sent to create havoc. In our cases, we were. We were involved with highly noble work, but there were more missions to complete. That smoke bomb needed to be put to work. It had been an entire five minutes since the toilet paper caper. My target, the Whisper Lady's front gate across the street, also known as the Bird Lady. Kids are creeps and dangerous. Don't let their size fool you. There is a constant need for stimulation and destruction. That's why video games were invented. Don't let them tell you otherwise. I guess it's better to blow up harmless asteroids for a quarter than to torment old ladies. 
even if that lady yelled at you for sneaking into the yard and swiping pears from the tree. I borrowed the blue Bic lighter from Joe and decided this would be a one-man operation. Joe would be lookout and whistle if unfriendlies appeared. I crouched low and, sneaking through the parked cars, silently raised the latch on the gate and slipped into the front yard. I lit the fuse on the cherry-red smoker and waited for the plume to flow. When the red smoke started farting out, I rang her doorbell, dropped the puffing ball, and hauled Bud back to Joe in the safety of the bunker. In a few seconds, the door opened, and there she was, the bird lady in her flowery house slip, looking like a long-ago stilted lover from a Bukowski novel. Her eyes bugged and mouth contorted in disgust of the rank cloud outside her door. She waved her arms to fan it away, and as she slammed the door shut, the faint words, undoubtedly in an Italian curse, dissipated along with the sulfurous smoke. They say the devil smells of sulfur. We cackled like a couple of demons and stepped out to the sidewalk and strolled back across the street and took seats on Joe's stoop. We needed nourishment. We ate the Slim Jims. Then I felt a lump in my back pocket, a small cardboard box. I pulled out the partially crushed package. Poppers. I had a bunch of poppers. No, they weren't amphetamines. Poppers were those little, mostly harmless devices about half the size of a firecracker. They had strings hanging from each end. Pull the strings, and they, well, pop. A little, tiny explosion. Nowhere near the potency of a firecracker. But it did make just enough noise to have fun. To create a small but satisfying bit of havoc. I handed one to Joe, and I could see the gears turning behind the corners of his eyes like a steampunk mannequin. He got up and tied one end to the front gate, and the other to the latch. He shifted his shifty eyes to me and lifted the latch. Pop. Worked perfectly. The next mission had been handed down from the superiors in the headquarters of our sick imaginations. We worked the block over from First Avenue to Pleasant. It was that desolation that dominated my street from October to March. The sun was somewhere over the Midwest, dreading its return to East Harlem in the morning. Our ally, the night, would assist. Carefully, as we watched the street for witnesses and windows for peepers, we tied the little booby traps on the four gates east of Joe's building. We had no idea if any would be triggered until morning when the sun could witness. It was the excitement, the adventure of putting them on, the secret agent feeling of planting ten pounds of C4 on the enemy's ammo dump. That's what went on in our twisted twelve-year-old brains. And the way any twelve-year-old mind works, we were back on our stoop, talking about Star Wars, or the Blackout, or the Son of Sam, completely forgetting the potential for chaos we had wired up on the northeast end of 118th Street. Joe was getting curious about the aftermath of the TP mission and convinced me it was safe to go back to the scene of the crime. As we strolled with feigned innocence past the little bodega, the wall of Scott's were back as if nothing had ever happened. Then we spotted him, the man, the legend, Booby Cooley, hanging in front of his brownstone on Pleasant, a few buildings down from the store. Booby was the top-built character in the cast list of East Harlem. He was dressed in his powder blue pants with matching patent leather shoes, Hawaiian shirt, and yellow fake Ray-Bans. Hair coiffed in a pompadour, held in place by a handful of carefully applied brill cream. He strutted with a Fonzie-like swagger. He was a lonely soul, 
and we enjoyed talking to him. Hey, you hear that wise guy? Do that guy a beaten? Which one? we asked. That one. He thinks he's the capo or the tuto to the capo. It hit him with a hammer. Knocked all the toilet paper off the shelves. I looked to Joe, who was nodding in an attempt to keep the building guffaw from exploding from his mouth. He let it out in little bursts with his words, the way you might release a fart in a crowded but windy car. No, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, hit the beach. That's that's, that's life on Pleasant End. I was downtown before. Loved that city car building. He pumped his fist to show us how much he really loved the city car building. Yeah, that building is cool, I said. Top is solar. They say it was supposed to turn to follow the sun. He shrugged. Yeah, they all say that. They said the same thing about that church on 113. They should put solar on my shoes. We nodded. It was getting close to my dinner time. What time is it? I asked. Booby looked at his wrist. I don't know. My watch, it's trying upstairs. I had to paint it. Match the car I'm working on, a 66, Coupe de Ville. Yeah, my old man, he wanted one just like it. That was how the conversations with Booby went. Little surreal dips into the reality pool of his world. Good lonely soul. We nodded, said goodnight, and walked back to 118th Street. Our hearts skipped a beat like a jazz drummer on lutes when we looked down our block. Joe's mother was standing in her front yard. Outside her gate was Maggie, our neighbor. Yes, a neighbor from one of the booby-trapped buildings. Now her name was not Maggie, but out of fear she might hunt us down and kill us both. I will refer to her with that alias to protect the guilty. As we approached, we could hear the conversation cracking the silence of the block. Although only a handful of words were clear. Firecracker. Gate. Child. Blind. Cut off. Knife. Pisha deal. I looked to Joe. Obviously, dramatics were at work here. First off, it was not a firecracker. It was a little popper. A kitten would have done more damage. But we were scared, and we did not want her second-to-last word anywhere near our last word. So we let loose a chorus of utter and complete disgust at the mindless, soulless cretins who could perpetrate such horrors. My real question, though, was why neither Joe's mom or Maggie were accusing us. The block was empty. No one else was out. There were no other viable suspects, unless she thought Booby Cooley did it. I guess those angels were busy watching our backs. I gave Joe a look to follow me, and we rushed to the corner, where we quickly disposed of all evidence, popping the dozen or so poppers and tossing the remaining paper and strings down the sewer grate. The second smoke bomb went as well, sadly, unlit. A chilly breeze was on our backs as we headed home. I had to go eat dinner. There would be no more missions, no more chaos, no more twisted fun. At least that night, amongst the stoops of Atlantis. This has been the Stoops of Atlantis with Mikey D. Stay tuned for future tales and bizarreness from that ancient land called East Harlem. Check me out on Facebook.